This morning we read from the Word of God, Psalm 23. Psalm 23. The Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We consider the word of God in verse 4 this morning. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the text of the Word of God that we consider this morning is an astounding personal confession of the individual believer who lives in the midst, surrounded on every side by death. It expresses how the believer copes and reacts to that reality of death that confronts him wherever he looks. This confession in verse 4 assumes that this individual believer, the psalmist David, knows death very well, is very well acquainted with death, and understands the reality of death. The one who speaks here knows many loved ones who have died, and knows as he looks around that everyone living, including himself, will soon die. Death is something the psalmist has known since his very first consciousness, knows that he lives in a world that can rightly be characterized as the valley of the shadow of death. So prevalent is that great evil. The one who speaks here knows the reason for death, that death is God's pronouncement. It is the wages earned by sin. It is executed by the one who pronounces it, a righteous God. The psalmist who speaks here knows what happens at death, that at death we are immediately brought in our soul before 
that righteous God to whom we must recompense for our sins or remain dead eternally if they remain unpaid. He knows the reality of Hebrews 9.27 that it is appointed for men once to die but after that the judgment. The psalmist here knows what death is. That death, like sin, separates us from the goodness and the love of God who cannot, being righteous, dwell with sin. But all these things, the unbeliever also knows. He may ignore these things. He may try to drown these things with drugs and alcohol. He may try to run away from these things. But he also knows them. His sin is not ignorance, but his sin is willful rebellion against this God. It is an expression of his hatred for such a God and of his rejection of God's goodness, his desire, his sin expresses, is to live far away from this God. He sins knowing full well that his sin leads to eternal death. But that is also why the unbeliever fears death and is afraid of death. His sin, in fact, is an expression of that fear, an attempt to forget about this God and His righteous judgment, to drown it and ignore that reality. So what we find in the text is the expression and confession of the believer and the believer alone. The believer alone says, Yea, though I walk, Through that valley, through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. In fact, the believer goes even further. He even celebrates death, as we're going to do next Sunday morning in the Lord's Supper. And when we do, we remember not simply the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, but our own death, in Him and the implication of that. What we must see this morning too is that this is the confession of every believer. Not just the psalmist. Not just certain and special believers. But every believer, everyone with faith, confesses this. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Consider with me this morning, fearless in the valley of death. We notice in the first place the astounding confession, in the second place the only explanation, and finally the certain effect. First the astounding confession. The psalmist himself brings attention to the astounding character of what he is about to say When he begins, Yea, though I walk. 
I shall fear no evil. The idea he wants to communicate is that where he walks and what he encounters as he walks ought to cause fear. Indeed it does. Where he is, where he finds himself, where he must go, causes a paralyzing, gut-wrenching, depressing, soul-destroying, joyless fear. Yea, though all that, I will not fear. What causes fear and why his confession that he does not fear is so astounding is death. Where he walks and what he encounters at every turn in his walk is death. The specter of death. The shadow of death. The darkness of death. The oppression of death. The psalmist here is not speaking abstractly about death, but he's speaking from his own personal experience. He's not treating death clinically. He's not speaking as if he's reading from a book. He's speaking as one who knows death, yea, though I walk. He's speaking here about death that he knows intimately. He has seen death all around with his own eyes. He has experienced death all around in his own soul. He thinks about death. He encounters death. He has tasted death. And that's brought out especially also by his description of where he walks as the valley of the shadow of death. Literally, I walk in death's shadow gorge. All one thing. One cannot separate one from the other. There is a gorge filled with shadows and the shadows of death. The idea is that the psalmist is not here strolling down a nice level path in a beautiful green meadow of gentle streams and lush plants where light is always found in the warm sunshine, causes everything to be beautiful, so that as he walks, he's able to pause frequently to gaze around at all the beautiful scenery and see the grazing animals. That is not the description here. The valley of the shadow of death is a place where death lurks at every single moment and follows you around like a shadow. What he's describing here is a place where the individual walking is scrambling and climbing over a rocky, narrow trail cut into the face of a steep cliff. A dry gorge dimly lit, perhaps only when the sun is directly overhead. A place where all the senses are on high alert, in tune, keenly listening and continually watching for wild beasts that could tear you to shreds. And even every step is carefully watched lest the feet slip and one plummet to the bottom of the gorge in an instant. 
And it's not a place that he walks through occasionally or just for a short while. The idea is that this is an endless gorge. An endless, steep, rocky, dangerous place that he walks. That even as he writes, he is walking. Keep in mind a place where even if it were a short journey, even if it were for a brief moment, is a place that causes paralyzing fear, that tears out the guts, that makes one tired and fatigued, a place that is claustrophobic, it is oppressive, where there is a weariness due to the tension that arises from all those senses being on high alert, where the body becomes tired of the sorrows, the sobs are loud, where one looks and says, I don't know where to take the next step. I don't know if my next step will be my last. So near is death. So great is the darkness of the shadow of death. This is, of course, a picture. A picture of the psalmist's own journey through this life. It's a picture of his entire life. It's a characterization of what this life is all about. And what this life is all about for every single child of God from the moment they're born till the moment they actually die. It is, and may rightly, actually be looked at as a valley and gorge where there is no exit without dying. That's how dark is the shadow of death. The apostle then, or the psalmist then, is not simply speaking of sorrows and grief we share occasionally at a funeral when a loved one dies or a fellow member dies. He's not talking merely about the deep pain of soul that we have when a spouse dies or a child is killed in an accident, he's not simply speaking about the fact that now and then, occasionally, we as the people of God know death in a particularly painful way. He's saying that's what this world is. It is the valley of the shadow of death. Not sometimes, not occasionally, it is. The reality of that is expressed in both of our own sacramental forms. We will be reading soon from the Lord's Supper form where we read, we lie in the midst of death. And our baptism form says that life is nothing but a continual death. That is this psalm. The psalmist is referring to the fact that death follows us around at all times during all of our life like a dark shadow. It's really about what we know in our soul even before we're conscious. It's not like one is born and then at some point in the future, perhaps when we're 10 or 12, we know a little something about death. But you have to see that child, that newborn, born from its mother, 
gasping for air, crying. Why? Because it knows death. It knows already the grip of death and the struggle for life. It's one of the first things then also about which we know even consciously. Most of us, if we think about it, can go back to our earliest memories and perhaps think of a moment, perhaps one of the first things you ever really thought about, and that is, I could die. And if we forget, there's constant reminders of the fragility of life and that we can die at any moment all around us. Think of the hospitals, the many hospitals, and the ER rooms. Think of the retirement homes filled with people. Think of all the broken bones, the accidents, the diseases. Think of the famines and the violent storms and the mighty earthquakes. Think of the wars and the rumors of war. Think of the frail old bodies and feeble minds of men and women shuffling around and entering into church whose bodies were once strong and whose minds were sharp. We're reminded of it when we go to bed at night, tired and exhausted. The shadow of death is there in the morning when we wake up and we look in the mirror. It's there when we eat and drink. It's there when we exercise. It's there when we work. It's there when we shop. It never, ever goes away. The psalmist here refers to what that constant presence of death does to life. It takes the light of life. It takes the joy of life. And it darkens it. And it turns it to evil. Death is so constant its specter looms so much over everything that we do and every step we make that like a shadow it darkens all the light of life. It turns its joys into sorrow. It turns its goodness into evil, which is exactly why he says what he does. I fear no evil. He sees that death as evil. It's not a pleasant reality that one can ignore. It's not one that doesn't affect our soul. It's one that has an evil effect. It creates gloom and doom, depressing presence. A great evil that afflicts the soul, turns its joy and its goodness to sorrow and tears and mourning and depression and anxiety and paralysis. And then that reality that it's a shadow, it's an evil, is especially expressed when we realize the reality of spiritual death. That's sin. Depravity. The Bible calls that death. In the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Adam didn't die physically that day. He died spiritually. The knowledge of good was replaced with the knowledge of evil. And he found himself bound to sin. If it were possible to forget or ignore 
all the constant reminders of death and the evils that it causes and how it sucks the joy out of life, then there is that. Our continual sin and depravity. So that even while we gather in joy to worship God and enjoy His fellowship and presence, then we find sin rises up against us. It reminds us of how weak we are. It reminds us of the fact of death and the judgment that awaits us. And it even seems to be the stronger our faith, then the greater is the knowledge of our sin. The greater the struggle against sin. The greater of the sorrows of sin. All leading to that description. And yet David says, and every believer says with him, Yea, though I walk through that valley, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. What an astounding confession. Astounding because the greatest evil of death is that it causes fear. And fear is the greatest evil because it's unbelief in God. Not simply talking now about how a man fears dying itself and those consequences of dying. Not simply talking about the separation of the body from the soul and how death deprives the soul of its comfortable home and clothing, as we read in 2 Corinthians 5, how it leaves the soul homeless and naked, how death deprives us and separates us, body and soul, from the land of the living. How death takes away and how death ruins everything we've worked for, everything we hold dear, and then turns us into dust from which we came. The worst part of it is that death causes us to shrink back and run from God. And to do that because God is the righteous God. The one who has imposed this sentence of death upon us. Who executes that sentence so that there is no man who has ever lived who will escape death. All who die immediately meet and are judged by this righteous God. And every sin and every expression of sin brings a man before God. And so this God he fears with the fear of terror and runs and hides. That's the great evil of death. The confession reckons with that and the confession is astounding because it's so direct and to the point. Notice the psalmist does not say, I will fear no evil because no evil will come to me as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil because I don't see any evil. I don't experience any evil. We have to remember that this is the very psalmist who writes how in the valley he once confronted a lion and a bear who threatened his flock and his own life. Who in that valley once confronted a mighty giant armed to the teeth with a sling and a couple of stones. You have to think of the doctor's report and suffering in the hospital. The parents of the young son who was killed in an accident. The woman holding in the hospital her stillborn son. It means I will fear not that. No evil. 
The astounding character of this confession is that it's saying, Yea, though I know evil, see evil, and have experienced evil and death all around me in all of its forms, I will not fear that evil. Though I've lost a parent or a child in death, though my husband abuses or has deserted me, though I get sick and die, though I could die tomorrow, Though I may get very old so that I can hardly even function, I will not fear that. It's not saying I won't mourn. I won't sorrow. It's not saying I will be stoically unaffected by any of those things. I don't care about the evil. But I will not fear it. Astounding because It's an all-encompassing confection, saying, I will fear no evil in the valley of the shadow of death whatsoever. I will not fear the evil of sickness and disease. I will not fear the evil of war and the destruction that it causes. I will not fear the evil of the doctors or the police report. I will not fear the evil of losing all my property or my money. I will not fear the evil of retirement I will not fear the evil of the funeral home. I will not fear the evil of getting old. I will not even fear the evil of my own sin and depravity. There is no evil that I fear. Now what's the explanation for that? I want to emphasize in this point that there is only one. Only one. In fact, we might say to ourselves, there's none. How can that be? That's impossible. Are you saying that you don't think about it and even fear when the evil of wrinkles starts showing up in your face? You're saying that you, you wouldn't be afraid if you had to stand before a lion and a bear in your path or face that giant Goliath in the valley? You're saying that if you get a diagnosis of cancer tomorrow, you're not going to be filled with dread and worry? Are you saying that if the Nebuchadnezzars of this world come to you and say, bow down before my image and worship, or I'll throw you into a burning, fiery furnace, you're not going to have fear? The believer says, no. The believer says, no, I won't. The believer answers with Daniel, or his three friends, when confronted by that mighty man, we are not afraid to answer you on this matter. We'll speak as Job spoke to his three friends. We'll speak as the prophets spoke as they were being killed, or the martyrs as they were being burned. We'll speak as every aged saint has spoken on their deathbed. No, I will not fear. What's the explanation? The explanation is faith. The explanation is that faith is the opposite of fear. This is even the idea of Scripture when it speaks of this, that perfect love casteth out fear. That perfect love, which is the fruit of faith, throws out fear. It casts it out. This is what Jesus was teaching to the woman with an issue of blood who reached out and touched His garment and was healed. And He says, fear not, only believe. Fear and faith are incompatible. They're the opposites. Faith is not fear. It's trust. 
Faith is trust, not distrust. Faith is confidence, not doubting. Faith is fearless, not fearful. Faith is not anxious or despairing. Faith is always at peace and full of hope. Now that's not an automatic thing. It is a process. Because of the old man of sin, there is a measure of fear. There is fear there. There is fear to be found. There is fear there naturally. And that's why Scripture constantly, constantly exhorts us, fear not. How many times did the angels appear to men and women of faith, believing men and women, and still have to say, fear not? Why did Jesus have to say over and over again to His disciples, fear not? Because fear is the instinctive reaction of even the believer when confronted with the shadow of death in the valley. It's what we're prone to. It's what we're inclined toward. But faith drives away fear. It displaces fear. It replaces fear with something else. It turns sorrow to joy. What time I am afraid. Notice that in the Psalter number. What time I am afraid. I put my trust in Thee. There is the explanation. First, faith and what faith is. And then secondly, what faith believes in. The explanation of this fearlessness in the valley of death is that faith believes in Jesus Christ. And that is the direct reference when the psalmist goes on to say, For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Why? That astounding confession. What's the explanation? The psalmist says, for. And then notice how he even omits faith. For I believe. Because that's ultimately not the explanation. The explanation is that he does believe. But it's the object of faith. What faith believes in, who faith believes in, for thou art with me. It's worth noting that in this psalm, the psalmist is speaking of himself here too. That's part of faith. The psalmist could have put all of this in terms of all of us. The psalmist, and there's psalms that do that, that remind us of who God is, that He is with us and what He does, what He has done for us, what He continues to do for us. Many, many psalms like that, but one reason this psalm is so beloved is it's personal. Faith is always personal. Faith, as even our Lord's Day 7 points out, doesn't simply believe or know the Scriptures to be true as they apply to everyone else, but says they're for me. They're about me. They apply to me. It's good to see in the passage how the psalmist arrives at this. The psalmist doesn't start here. He has been talking about the Lord, his shepherd, and what he's been doing even talks about how he has made him to lie down in green pastures and talks about still waters. He doesn't do that afterwards. He starts there. 
And the point is that even though he characterizes this valley as a shadow of death, a description exactly as I have explained it to you, there are oases, there are places, there are still waters and green pastures. Oh, he doesn't know where they are. He doesn't even see them. He wouldn't know how to get to them. He wouldn't find rest if he got there. But there is someone else who has brought him there. That's instructive, I say. It explains one of the reasons that we often fear or we find that our fears are not dispelled by faith. And part of the reason is is that when times are good, as we're drinking out of the still waters and green pastures and the bright sunlight, we don't think about the fact that the Good Shepherd has led us there and brought us there. We often imagine that we got there ourselves. That the goodness that we drink of and that we eat is inherent. But that's not so. The reason the psalmist can say what he says is because he has already recognized the presence of the Good Shepherd. Number two, notice two, who's walking. This too is instructive. As soon as he speaks of thou art with me, we have to go back and say, who's the thou? And we notice it's a shepherd. And even the children here recognize this shepherd is not any shepherd. He's talking about a shepherd with reference to the good shepherd who careth for and gives his life for the sheep. Ah, that's instructive, isn't it? It again explains often why we're so filled with fear and doubt and why we find it impossible to say, I will fear no evil. Why is that? Because we forgot we're sheep. We think we're a human being. An exceptionally brilliant human being at that. One with a lot of muscles and strength. And, and certainly when we look over that, we, we say to ourselves, well, I can climb over that rock. I can make my way down that path. Certainly if I try hard enough, I'm going to find those green pastures on my own. I can keep myself. I have enough skills to confront the lion and the bear or take on Goliath. Not so. Not so at all. What's walking through the valley of the shadow of death isn't even human at all, really. It's a sheep. A dumb, foolish, helpless sheep. A sheep not built for scrambling and scrounging. A sheep that wanders off the first chance it gets. That is oblivious to dangers. That will freeze to death in cold weather because it doesn't know how to find shelter. And there you see is part of faith. Faith recognizes who we really are and what we are. That there is no walking through that valley. There is no safety. There is no security. There is nothing to be found apart from a shepherd. All sheep need a shepherd. The fearlessness of the psalmist is that he has a shepherd that loves and cares for him and is with him every single step in the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, there's shadows all around. They cover him. It's what this valley is. But even more present, more near, not just as a shadow, but with him. That is, holding his hand, holding him up, speaking to him, counseling him, protecting him at all times, over against that death, is another, the Good Shepherd, who is the Lord. 
never fails, never leaves, never forsakes, never forgets, even, even when the psalmist does. Even when the psalmist stupidly says, you know, I think that I want that woman for my wife. And I'm justified in killing her husband even though he's one of my best men. The shepherd is with him even into death. There's something about faith, you see. That faith, when it thinks of death, when it sees death, when it looks at those shadows of death, it sees something. It sees something deeper, something further. In fact, it cannot really even think about death without immediately thinking of the death of the Good Shepherd. That's where it goes. It remembers, such is the presence of the Good Shepherd with us, with me, here in this valley of the shadow of death, that He is a man. He is with me. He is here. And in the Old Testament, look forward to something that we look back to. That he entered into that death. That the Good Shepherd, understanding what it is that really causes all our fears, all of our troubles, all of our sorrows, all have one source. Sin and death. The guilt of sin, the power of sin, the bondage of sin, the payment of sin, the wages of sin, all of it. And death and, of course, hell which follows. And faith looks at the Good Shepherd and says... I remember what he did. He entered into this valley. And for him, the only way out, like me too, is to die. There was only one way out, to die on a cross. Not just to make a mistake and slip and fall or run into an accident, but to deliberately, willingly place himself on the cross at the hands of sinful, wicked men, including you and I, who put him there and give himself, enter into death. And then faith remembers some more things, doesn't it? That in that death he paid for sin. And it couldn't be his own sins. He was perfect. It had to be my sins. It had to be the sins of others. And faith remembers something else. It remembers that this one who died is no longer dead. He's alive. He's in heaven. My good shepherd is. He is with me. He's alive. Alive, we remember, because He was raised from the dead. And if He was raised from the dead, He was raised because He did actually pay all the penalty and wages of my sin. Oh, there's more. Having done that, having done that, He earns the right to deal gracious with me, to impute His righteousness unto me. It even means that I in a very real sense, died too. So much is He with me, and I with Him, that I was there on the cross. I entered into that grave, and I came forth. I've been crucified with Him. And that means He has changed the whole reality of death. Oh, death is an evil, a terrifying evil. But for me, it's just a shadow. Shadows can't hurt me. Shadows can't harm me. Shadows really, in the end, can't kill me. Why is that? Because I have a good shepherd. And he changes the whole thing about death. He makes death, that great evil, turn to my prophet. He makes it a good. He makes it a passageway into eternal life. He uses it for my sanctification. By death, 
Sin is abolished. My depravity gone forever. My soul instantly transformed from the depraved, sinful thing that it is to perfect understanding and love for my Lord Jesus Christ that I don't possess now. And He makes it so that even that body which is cast away and turns back to dust, He will raise. Raise up the last day. Join my soul back unto my body so that I am me. An immortal body. A perfect body. A body that never again will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Is free from that forever. That's the Christ who's present with him. That's the reason for the fearlessness. But there's more. He walks with me with a rod and a staff. The rod and the staff, they comfort me. What's it talking about? Well, some say it's talking about two different instruments, some one. It really doesn't matter. The point of those two terms, rod and staff, is there's a twofold purpose of something. That the Good Shepherd uses something in two different ways to comfort me. That is, to assure me that I am safe. To instill a fearlessness that I would not have by nature. What's it referring to? Well, we may summarize as simply saying it's talking about His Word. His Word. And that Word functions in two different ways. Like a rod. A rod that pokes and prods and gently nudges, perhaps even occasionally gives us a good whack on the back. It's talking about how the Word of God functions to warn us of great dangers on the one side and the promises of God's Word that show us about the goodness and love of God on the other side that is poking and prodding us so that we're walking on the right path and not on the wrong path. But Christ has an instrument that also functions in another way in the Word of God, which is something that rescues us. You have to think about the crook of the shepherd's staff. That little hook that's on there. Because so stubborn am I, so prone to fall off the edge of the cliff that I actually get there. I may actually fall. And then there's an instrument. The Word of God functions to reach out and grab me by the leg and pull me back and set me back on the path. When I'm stubbornly persisting to go away that I shouldn't go, it grabs me and pulls me where I should go. And that's a comfort to me. God doesn't simply just, by His Word, discipline me, correct me, Show me where I'm wrong. But when I'm wrong, when I'm so wrong I can't even see what I'm going, what I'm doing, how where I'm on leads to the path of destruction, He also speaks in such a way to lift me back up, put me back on my feet when I tip over. That's the reason for the astounding confession. You ask yourself, well, when does He do that? Well, think about the psalm again. Here in this valley, the, the psalmist speaks about green pastures and still waters. And you ask yourself, well, when, when does God do that? Well, He does it all the time, actually, in many ways. He's continually speaking to us through others, through our own devotions, through prayer. But just think especially about how that happens on Sunday. How after traveling through the valley of the shadow of death and we're weary and worn out and we're anxious and despair, that it's especially the rod and the staff that bring us here to church 
where we get to hear God speak to us, sometimes to warn us, to exhort us, to admonish us, to remind us, fear not. Other times to remind us that we're fearless. Always teaching His self and His presence. And then, and then, and, and then in case we, we haven't heard, so stubborn are we, there's the rod and staff of the sacrament. Next week we're going to be confronted with that. The presence of Jesus Christ with us in the sacrament. And there's death. A broken body, shed blood, death. And we celebrate. And fearlessly we take the plate and the cup. And we eat and drink. And we do that fearlessly in spite of our sin and sinfulness. Why? Because of who we are? No, because of what He is. And that leads me briefly to the sure effect. You, you can see what the effect has to be, do you not? If indeed the child of God is fearless in the midst of the shadow of death, it means that he'll walk that way with confidence, fearlessly. child of God will not avoid the worship services. Surprisingly, we often do that, and the reason is we're filled with dread and terror anxiety, depression, all kinds of reasons and excuses we give. I just can't go to church. You're filled with fear, my dear, my beloved sheep. And the reason you're filled with fear is really unbelief. And nothing else can correct that fear. There's no pill in the world that will give you the courage to stand before a righteous God. There's no doctor in the world in therapy that can take away the fear of death. It can't. Nothing can. And only faith, faith that, that says, for thou art with me, thy rod and staff that comfort me, will come to church, will partake of the sacrament. When you look at an army, and you look at soldiers, and imagine an army of soldiers terrified, quaking in their boots, will they go forward? into battle? The answer is no, they won't. They run. They cut and run. And the child of God, fearless in the valley of the shadow of Seth, says, I go forward. I am even face an obstacle that I say I can't overcome, but goes forward anyway. And with Christ's presence and His rod and His staff, finds out, indeed, indeed, indeed there's progress. Indeed, I can go forward. Indeed, I'm able to do that which I cannot do. Amazing, isn't it? The effect is also this, and I, I really love could give you a whole other sermon on the effect of fearlessness, but let's just point out that fearlessness with regard to death has the effect of giving us the right and proper fear of God. Worship, the desire to worship, the desire to be with Him, to seek Him in the sacrament, in the preaching of the Word, but also this then, with regard to others. There's others who experience death at a particular time in horrible, gut-wrenching, anxiety-causing, depressing ways. Their fear may arise. Fears may be very, very vivid. And so that those who aren't particularly confronting death in that way will be eager to come. And then come with what? Well, the rod and staff of Christ, of course. Don't bring them the comfort while others got it worse. Maybe you'll get over your disease. Oh, it was a sudden death. They didn't suffer. 
Oh, come on. Let's get rid of that nonsense. That's the nonsense of the world who fears death. Child of God brings the word of the psalm, the word of God that we have here before us. And so, beloved, I know there's fear. There's fear. There always is. And yet, we all may and should be able to confess, yea, though I fear, yea, though there's all kinds of things that I ought to be afraid of here in the valley of the shadow of death, though I find fear in my soul, fear that paralyzes me, I will not fear, for Thou art with me. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our God and Father in heaven, we thank Thee for our Lord Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, who leads us and guides us through this valley of the shadow of death and comforts us with His rod and His staff. O Lord, forgive our fears and continue to provide for us in our fears with faith that dispels fear and gives us hope and confidence to follow in love after Thee, our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.